sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, we're back. This is the pandemic uh, uh, edition of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And just, we are just maintaining that, vast social distance. It's just because you triple or quadruple alliterated didn't make that an appropriate greeting. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> no? Okay. All right. But that's, that's, that's cool. Uh, what, so we've got good social let's distance. It. Let's rerun it. <laughs> no, yeah, how would you do it? How, how would you open the show? Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast, where we are maintaining self <laughs> safe social distances. I don't, I don't know. It's good. We're, we we got it. Now we've got two two versions. Uh, Brian, do you want to throw in uh, an introduction? Uh, I am happy to be. Let's see. Yeah, we are observing the strictest social distancing. Uh, oh, protocols yes. of about a what is it two thousand miles? Yeah, like twenty <laughs> twenty two hundred miles for you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to not. I'm going to face west. If that's okay, just in case any spittle comes out of my mouth, it'll head toward the Pacific Ocean, and you guys will be completely safe. <laughs> oh that, my! Well, but, that, but, that is but, the, that's the voice the, of oh, Doctor Brian K, uh, mm -hmm. a a, a long time uh, correspondent editorial voice on the pirate monk podcast <laughs> and located just outside of berkeley california so anything crazy starts there <laughs> so we thought that dr brian k who is both a pastor and a licensed counselor could give us some insight this morning nate what were you going to say oh I, I was going to point out that despite the vast distances that separate us our listeners might detect an improvement in audio quality today and that is due to the fact that we are using different technology than the technology we've been using for the past couple of years. We're no longer on Zoom. We're using something called Zencaster. And we will see uh, how it works out, hopefully. Uh, okay, anyway. Wait, hold, hold on. With that in mind, hold on one second. Hold on. Okay. Dead air. Dead air. Dead I'm, air. I'm back. I took my pants off. No okay. longer video. I'm loving it. <laughs> oh, oh my! The liberation. Yeah. It's funny that like uh, it's Berkeley that's supposed to be kind of a clothing optional city, and <laughs> I have to. It's you, it's you Bible belters that end up uh, stripping, <laughs> stripping down to your skibbies. I don't yeah. know what's happening. Everything's so topsy turvy. The, the, the funny thing is this is radio, so I didn't actually have to take my pants off, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So so how's it going? Uh, well, I'll, I'll get it from both your perspectives. Obviously, not everyone lives in Tennessee. So, Nate, you can talk about how this very strange week has gone for you. Brian, curious how it's going in California, because I've talked to a lot of people and there's a... Uh, so a lot of strong emotions going on. So just give give me the update, then we'll we'll touch on possibly some conversations we need to have. Absolutely. Should I jump yeah. in? Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's funny how it seems like anytime you try to give an update about what's going on with this coronavirus reaction, it's out of date ten minutes later. So I mean, yeah. what is this? It's three forty five 
p.m. my time right now on a on a Monday, and it's it, it might be out of date what I say by the end of the or by the time this even gets broadcast. But so it, it's actually so it's really pretty crazy right now in the Bay Area, especially. I mean, I already composed a text to you, Aaron, about thirty minutes ago, um, canceling, like just saying, "Hey, I'm really sorry. I don't think I can. Like, I don't think I can t- record the episode with you." And that's because um, in the last hour and a half, uh, six Bay Area counties are on near lockdown. Actually, it gets as effective a media at midnight tonight. But um, all essential travel and all essential gatherings are are banned, um, not optional anymore. So, uh, all, all non-essential. Rest- uh, sorry, all non-essential. Uh, yeah, all non-essential. So. Uh, all restaurants shut down unless there's takeout orders, no gatherings of any kind for you just supposed to to stay in your house unless you need to leave for groceries or medical reasons. Um, so everyone's like scrambling right now to try to get the last, last minute things accomplished out there in the world. Oh, Um, wow. And instead you're talking to us. uh, I know. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, did did you actually send that text? Cause I didn't get it. Or no, I would have been I, much no, more I, respectful and not oh, been no. like we're starting. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, somehow the it's 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 complicated. My parents are actually moving they, in God's bizarre providence, and it's often bizarre. They picked today to move from their retirement home to a, an assisted living facility. So I was uh, kind of watching my mom over here, who's got uh, who has Parkinson's, and I. So that's happening while the order of closing everything is being issued, meaning the, the guys that are moving them, doing the boxes, didn't finish the job today, but I'm not sure they can even come back now uh, to finish it tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I just now said goodbye to them. They're going back to their house that's all boxed up, but you know, uh, they've got really no no life there, and then they can't move. So it's just a, it's a million, like, anyway, that's my personal story, but there's a million little stories like that happening all around us as well as trying to figure out how to, this is another topic, I guess, but how, how are we going to be doing church, uh, for the next couple of months? Um, right. which is, um, that's the other couple of months. I'm only planning on being inconvenienced for two weeks. <laughs> it's ever the optimist. Ever yeah, the optimist. It's, yeah. It's looking like it'll be till possibly we're planning until June now to not be meeting as a church. Wow. Wow. So you just started, uh, this was your first <laughs> week as a, as one of two new pastors at a church. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> so your, your first, uh, official Sunday was offsite. Right. Uh, that, so that's actually my first official Sunday was being introduced at the very end of the service for two minutes. And, uh, said my greetings, thanked everybody, and then got off stage. We finished that Sunday and then, um, yeah, and then decided to close the entire church down forever, like on Tuesday. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think you might have seen my Facebook post, Aaron, where I said, here's the picture. This is proof that I did start a new a new church position, <laughs> but it's my first and last Sunday until further notice. So we're, yeah, we are just um, very quickly trying to learn how to broadcast a church service. But, um, you know, that was one other thing that happened today is that we were many, many emails like, okay, we'll get the musicians in, we'll get the cameras in, we gotta, uh, we'll try to pull this off on Wednesday and shoot the whole service. And then 
broadcast it on Sunday. And while we're making those plans, this new order is handed down. And so we can't even, uh, we can't even record a service in a group. We can't gather to make a recording. So someone's going to preach a sermon into their computer. Someone else is going to play guitar into their computer. (laughs) Someone else is going to, yeah. Uh, So Nate, what have you experienced in Tennessee? Yeah, well, it's amazing to me how quickly this thing has moved, how quickly uh, public perception uh, about the seriousness of the situation has changed, how my own feelings about it have changed in just a week. Um, I'm surprised and a little bit disappointed in myself that, um, that I'm as anxious as I am because uh, I pride myself on being level-headed and, you know, I'm not uh, an alarmist. I don't catastrophize as a rule. Uh, but I am living with, you know, low-level anxiety. I can, now that I'm a little bit emotionally literate, I can register it. I can feel it in my body. I know it's there. And I can also see it in the way that I'm finding it more difficult to stay focused on a single line of uh, thinking or reasoning or a simple task. Uh, I think I'm at greater risk than usual of going to my preferred addictive behaviors as a way to self-soothe. Haven't done that yet, uh, but I have been thinking a lot about eating. I don't know, you know, as (laughs) I can maybe eat my way out of this anxiety. (laughs) So don't do that. There's no food to replace it in the stores. Please yeah, pick a different yeah, yeah. one. <laughs> and and much to my shame and disappointment, I went to Costco yesterday and and like an idiot, I I mean I filled a a a a, a basket, a shop. I spent five hundred damn dollars on you know on food, uh, as though I'm hunkering down for the last days. I yeah. Mm. But it was very much, and um, uh, rationality was out the window. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I am. I'm, I'm trying to uh, regain my equilibrium. And here's the other thing. Um, you know, I have a long-standing routine of meeting at least one guy every morning for coffee and going for a walk. And, uh, you know, when I showed up at Starbucks this morning, this happened to be the week when, you know, my guy was out of town. Uh, so there was nobody to walk with, nobody to talk with. They've pulled all the chairs out of Starbucks. The, you know, the frothy monkey, the, the, the you know, the, the independent coffee shop was closed at least early this morning. And I'm looking at empty streets and it feels to me suddenly, strangely post apocalyptic. Mm. And mm-hmm. I can just feel my anxiety start to rise. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. gosh. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a scary. I'll tell you what I have taken to doing. I have taken to uh, making a screenshot of uh, daily headlines, mm. just just to see how the headlines change over time, so that months from now, years from now, we can look back and kind of track how it went. Mm. So we we talked about that last week a little bit about how those headlines represent. Uh, kind of the the least helpful version of news that has the outrage porn it's still you know it's hard yeah. to decipher what's the helpful information versus words that are being thrown into those headlines that create panic um 
and and so I think it's it's an interesting conversation this week. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night and didn't want to get out of bed maybe three nights ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to look at what my Facebook friends have been saying. I made it about 10 minutes. But in those 10 minutes, I saw two posts, <clears throat> one from a pastor friend of mine who wrote like a total douchebag where it was just dismissive of everything that this is this is nothing we need to keep meeting as churches all that kind of stuff which I'm going to come back to but another post was from your daughter asking for sensitivity because of your granddaughter being the kind of person who's at risk yes my daughter yes well, yes, your daughter was writing about her daughter, your granddaughter, right. who's right. at risk and saying, like, you might not be at risk, you might not be afraid of this, but this is dangerous for my daughter. So can you please consider being safe during this time and flattening the curve? And I think those two posts were so interesting together because I think what the church can do that is so inappropriate is even if one person feels like this is ridiculous there's no problem let's just you know stick a finger up and wave it high and proud we're still going to meet that that affects other people and if their fears and concerns uh revolve around hey can you please be careful and and not escalate this that we have to take that into account if we're going to be loving to other people so yes. what are both of your thoughts on that? Mm. Yep. That's funny. I probably have a little bit different of overlapping Facebook friends with you, Aaron, probably. And, but what I've not, I, I, I've sort of heard of the reports of the first type of post that you're mentioning, I guess. And I, the, the Cavalier Christians. Yeah. The Cavalier Christians. Um, but I think, uh, it seems like it, things are trending toward, uh, even in the Christian community, perhaps out here, or maybe just, you know, my own friend group somehow, but that this is really more of a love your neighbor moment than it is a um, resist the culture if you disagree with it kind of a moment. Because um, the love your neighbor thing really, I guess, the, the way I had thought about it this week was, I don't know if you ever read that Rodney Stark book, The Rise of Christianity, that came out a few years ago. He was a sociologist who was asking the question of how it was possible that this very small Jesus movement in the first few centuries exploded so quickly. And uh, like one of the reasons that he landed on was that during the, uh, at least one or more plagues of the Roman empire during those centuries that the Christians, um, instead of fleeing the cities to save their own lives, uh, in many cases, they stayed in the cities and ministered to the, um, those that were hurting and suffering, even at, obviously sometimes it cost of their own life. And it was that kind of moral um, uh, resistance to self-protection that, that really kind of moved the, the, the pagan non-believers. Um, it, it moved them into the faith, ultimately. And so the question, I think there was even a New York Times article about this this week, is this one of those moments, uh, what, what's, the, what's the current um, way to apply that same spiritual principle? And the, the answer in this one opinion piece was... Um, it's kind of the opposite. The way we love people now is by honoring the social distancing <laughs> commands from the from the doctors and the medical community. It's uh, so we're going to have to find a different 
a different way to inhabit that same love thy neighbor command. Uh, and it's probably going to look like, yeah, um, agreeing to, to hole up a little bit. And, and the only thing that I guess I'd add to that is, I don't know if you'll hear about this or if this will become a thing, but we're already discussing whether or not we should change the phrase from social distancing to physical distancing. <laughs> That's a good point. Because, uh, we really need not to be socially distant now. We, we kind of need each other more than ever mm-hmm. to um, to soothe one another, especially those that are the most anxious, which I think is all of us. Um, so social closeness while observing physical distance, that seems to be the... That's well, what. Nate, I will say that your daughter's post, along with one other person's admonition, caused me this morning. I, I woke up at, at 6, got dressed and ready to go... Uh, do jujitsu and stood there thinking, okay, look, there's one person in our entire county who has coronavirus. Do I really have to not work out because of that? But as far as social distancing, uh, having uh, being enwrapped in another person's legs, chest to chest and cheek to cheek while sweating on each other for two yeah. hours is, is definitely within the closer than is recommended proximity. Yeah, I think so. And, and so I, I decided not to go, uh, worked out with a couple of the boys, uh, upstairs. Cause of course school is canceled for the next three weeks. Yay for us. Um, but, it, but it was really, it, it came down to that where I thought this, this feels lame to me, but I really heard your daughter's request and I know mm-hmm. there were many other unspoken requests and I thought, okay, I, I guess I can, I can make this choice for those people. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, you know, I went through, you know, this cycle myself, I'm in good health. I, uh, consider myself younger than I actually am. Um, so obviously I think of myself as, you know, late teens, early twenties uh-huh, <laughs> rather than right? early sixties. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, but Allie turned 74 on Friday. So mm-hmm. she's like smack in the high risk group. Mm-hmm. She also has, uh, you know, coronary heart disease, a history of respiratory problems. She's a cancer survivor. She's got pretty much all of those mm-hmm. vulnerabilities that are on the list, save diabetes. Um, and yeah, and the more I understand about, you know, how easy it is to transmit this disease, to carry it, and how you can be carrying it for a week to uh, perhaps even two weeks before symptoms show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the very thought that I might bring some tiny deadly microbe back to the house because of my sense of immortality, and it would, you know, <laughs> right, and yeah. it, it cost my wife her life or put her into, you know, through a grave physical trial. That's more than I could stand. And that really is kind of what, but, kind of drove my buying binge yesterday was if I'm not going to leave the house for a month, you know, how do we survive? Mm -hmm. Um, then, you know, I, I don't know. I I do know that this, you know, our call to love our neighbor doesn't change. My wife is my closest neighbor. So I have a real responsibility to her. 
And I know that there are going to be ways that I can serve my brothers and sisters during this time of trial. If I have, for example, continuing uh, employment, if there's still work that goes on, and for, it appears as though the engineering business that provides, you know, kind of supplemental support for us that's there uh, is going to, still going to be here. Uh, we certainly have friends whose income has been totally erased because they work in food service mm. uh, or uh, or in entertainment. Or um, uh, let's, they're going to need support let's, and help. Let's and also – Let's consider shutting schools down for two weeks before spring break. Yeah. There are people who have to work. They don't have child care. There are other people that their kids get two meals right. a day at school. That's part mm -hmm. of what feeds right. their kids. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, like yeah. these, these are the places that if we're being proactive and sensitive, we can step into that. I, I don't yeah. know in anyone's individual area how they would access that information. I think the church is a great place to to be working that out and reaching yeah. out. Um, but but yeah, go on with your thought there. Yeah, and this also came down to to uh, you know this is Monday, this is Samson night, and Ooh. there was some fairly vigorous debate yesterday in our uh, on a. WeChat or we group or I whatever the hell it is that you know you text each other about you know whether we're going to meet tonight and there was one fellow who said hey I've been, I've been coming to that church for 15 years on Monday nights and I'm going to be there again and uh, you know and if you know if you want to come come and and then I explained why I wouldn't be there and as an alternative I set up a Zoom meeting and sent uh, a link out to the guys who are on the roster. So there will be at least a virtual meeting of the Samson Society tonight, and there may very well be a local meeting as well, although I think that sentiment has moved enough in the last 24 hours that probably plans, that, plans for that meeting have been scrapped. I am grateful, so grateful that Samson Society has learned how to conduct meetings online. This is a lifesaver. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. I think I can still safely walk with another guy uh, outside in the morning. From what I gather, that's all right. Um, that's my, my tentative plan to do that. I think, you know, if we have to punt on that, I have in the past when uh, somebody I'm a Silas to is on the other side of the country at a business conference or whatever, I've gone for a walk with that guy in the morning. It's just that we've both been on the phone. Mm -hmm. We can still do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I do know that I got sober in community. I'm only to stay sober and reasonably sane in community. I, fear and isolation, uh, you put those two together, and for me, that's a recipe for relapse, and I do not mm -hmm. want to relapse. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I know where that goes. So, I'm, so I'm curious even right now, Nate, having this much of a conversation just talking about your fears yeah. and having this conversation with the two of us, has that changed the emotional content of your soul? Ooh, that's a good question. Yes. Yeah. Mm. It helps to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm 
because I haven't been lectured by you guys. I've gotten an empathetic response from you. Um, and uh, I don't feel, you know, quite as alone right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, from a, a nerdy um, kind of counseling uh, brain science perspective, which I'd like to talk about sometimes. Like, see, so you've got, you know, in, in anxiety, that low-level anxiety you're talking about, Nate, which I feel that too. It just, it's, and I, I'm just, I could second everything you were saying about that. It's feeling it in your body and sort of this, just, just kind of sitting there, uh, not terror, but just this um, dis-ease. And, but anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and um, I don't have any apocalyptic fears or anything, but just as you see all these, uh, yeah, signs around you that life is not as it should be it just starts to creep in, but, um, that it's all, that's all happening in your midbrain, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's where some of those emotions are processed, but it, the midbrain is really great at just having raw emotions, but not really that great at organizing those or kind of framing them within a more realistic perspective. That's what's you need right. your frontal cortex for, as you know. And, um, so the very act of talking about it, just it, it just forces your frontal cortex to come online because that's where all your language ability is uh you know is, is stirring right so you're so, so yeah. you're you're saying when the fear starts to creep in in that moment we suck into that amygdala fight flight we just freeze. go to freeze mm-hmm. instinct and we stop thinking rationally that's right that's right and we start buying tons of toilet paper. <laughs> Why in the hell is toilet paper the thing that's out? And I just want to put it out yeah, there. Yeah. If anyone has some extra, my family yeah. of six is running a little low. And I bought a whole bunch of uh, just Kleenexes just in case. So that was all I could buy. <laughs> I literally had this I, thought like yesterday. Someone like made, I wasn't sure if it was a joke or if it was real. They had just ran out of toilet paper. And I thought, well, I've got six rolls in the closet. I'll just text them back and say, come up and get a roll. And then I thought, I actually had that thought, do I want to admit that I have six rolls? <laughs> <laughs> Soon the news will get out. and <laughs> There will be pitches <laughs> and torches and pitchforks That's right. on my lawn. That's right. Bring yeah. out the rolls. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I heard this explained by, uh, speculatively at least, by a British neuroscientist on BBC yesterday. And he kind of hypothesized that, you know, uh, uh, talk of uh, this kind of plague arouses in the mind the feeling of disgust, hmm. which we associate with the bathroom and mm-hmm. toilet paper. And so <laughs> buying huh. toilet paper wow. is an emotional mm-hmm. attempt to soothe feelings of disgust. Even though right? there's no indication that the supply line, the supply lines for toilet paper are in any way endangered, <laughs> yeah. or that we're in any real, you know. Can Can I just say on behalf of so many other listeners right now, that's really uh-huh. interesting, and it sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> what What in the hell? Uh, yeah, but I, I also yeah. have no explanation for why the run on toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, so I guess since you're the only one with an explanation, that's, yeah. that's the right answer. <laughs> and not to be, uh, I also read, and this will make it a little more dire conversation about the toilet paper, but that toilet paper, it's so bulky that, um, it doesn't pay. It doesn't, it's not cost effective to produce it in massive quantities and store it somewhere. Cause it just takes up too much room. So toilet paper tends to be 
it's it's an on demand product is only made right, on demand, exactly, and so yeah. they're, they're like we actually might hit a shortage from when article I was reading because they can't make it fast enough to keep up with people buying trunk loads full of it. Well, um, so, well so, hey, uh, I I want to be helpful, and uh, <laughs> Jenny and I saw on Amazon there was some sale on these bidets. That just uh-huh. screw onto yeah. the back of your toilet seat. Oh yeah, and attached to your. Th- it, it was a. It was a whole thing like a month ago. And right, we're all, was like, we're all well, Europeans that, now. Yeah, like that's interesting, and it, it requires far <laughs> less. So there might be no toilet paper on Amazon, but if you've got an extra, I think it's around forty bucks. Buy yourself a little bidet squirter. Uh, Brian, do you still have the video of my first bidet experience? Oh, that's right. I probably do somewhere. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. This is a story I have to hear. I have to hear it. I'm sorry. That is a, like, why do I have a, why do I have a video? Yeah. Why do you have a video of Aaron's first bidet experience? But I do. That requires some explanation. Like, why was I even invited into that experience? (laughs) But I was. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, uh, yeah. So uh, was it, it, I know Elijah was there because I have the video through the bathroom door of his sounds. Uh, but Brian was staying in a sweet hotel that had a bidet and I had never oh, experienced okay. it. And so through the door, he was recording uh, the the experience from my perspective that I, I think was mostly like, ooh, whoa, hey, whoa. <laughs> God, what? Ah! Uh, yeah. so, I Boy, think- I had to really, that had gone to the furthest corner of my memory until, <laughs> for a lot of, um, for, yeah. a, for a lot of good reasons. Yeah, yeah good reasons. Reason. <laughs> yeah, self-protective, just a lot of self-protection around that memory, I think, yeah. Uh, Actually, now- no, didn't, wait, wait, wait. I think I took your phone in and recorded my face while it was happening. Wasn't that what happened? I think that might have been what happened. That sounds better. It sounds a lot better. Yeah, well, sort of better. Yeah, but uh, I, I just I don't like to waste first experiences. But anyways, <laughs> I remember there being just a lot of. By the end of the whole experience, I remember there being a lot of extra video production around it, like multiple takes. And uh, <laughs> now that is not true. You don't I think did so? not. I did not do multiple takes. One was enough for me. But if I'm saving toilet paper, back yeah. to the practical solution. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a possible solution if you got an extra forty bucks. Just yeah. saying, uh, you can get your bidet probably in two days from Amazon and save a lot of toilet paper. So possibly you Americans hadn't thought about that, uh, but it's <laughs> it's a good it's a good thing, I guess. I mean, wasn't good for me the first time, but I'm sure I'd get used to it. I just want to check in that now that we've talked about toileting for seven minutes, that my um, very primitive, <laughs> a primitive uh, feeling of disgust has just lowered in my brain. It's uh, it's I've sort of got that resolved now thanks to this this uh, this conversation. So thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, is there anything else we need to talk about the coronavirus, or can we take a break and come back with uh, another topic that we're going to pick <laughs> Brian K's brain on? Please, God, can we take a break? <laughs> All right. Take, well, let's take well, a bidet we- break. Let's just call it. Let's- <laughs> well, I'm going to go squirt my butthole, and we'll be back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
And we are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. We promise there will be no more bidet talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, I'm going to have to include what was said during the break. It's oh, boy. Somewhere in here. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, Dr. Brian K., we've got you here, and we have talked a fair amount this year about trauma. We're uh, trying to understand new brain science around trauma, how to help. Um, and I came across this article. I was sent this article, and I want to read it and get both of your perspectives. Uh, I have encountered a lot of people, uh, a number of people, I don't know what a lot would include, but uh, people that feel like, wow, this other person hurt me whether it was somebody in their past, uh, and we have a lot of Samson guys who have been hurt by childhood abuse, or wives who have been hurt by their husband's uh, porn or sexual addiction or substance abuse. And you get stuck in your trauma and feel like, hey, this other person needs to fix this for me. I want to read this article. It's called Trauma is Not Your Fault but healing is your responsibility. It's by Brianna Weist, uh, and it was on the Thought Catalog. So here's the article. Want your responses. What happened to you was not your fault. It was not something you asked for. It was not something you deserved. What happened to you was not fair. You were merely collateral damage on someone else's warpath, an innocent bystander who got wrecked out of proximity. We're all traumatized by life, some of us from egregious wrongdoings, others by unprocessed pain and sidelined emotions. No matter the source, we're all handed a play of cards, and sometimes they're not a winning hand. Yet, what we cannot forget is that even when we are not at fault, healing is the aftermath that will always fall on us. And instead of being burdened by this, we can actually learn to see it as a rare gift. Healing is our responsibility because if it isn't, an unfair circumstance becomes an unlived life. Healing is our responsibility because unprocessed pain gets transferred to everyone around us, and we're not going to allow what someone else did to us to become what we do to those we love. Healing is our responsibility because we have this one life, the single shot to do something important. Healing is our responsibility because if we want our lives to be different, sitting and waiting for someone else to make them so will not actually change them. It will only make us dependent and bitter. Healing is our responsibility because we have the power to heal ourselves, even if we previously have been led to believe we don't. Healing is our responsibility because we are uncomfortable, and discomfort almost always signals a place in life which we are slated to rise up and transform. Healing is our responsibility because every great person you deeply admire began with every odd against them and learned their inner power was no match for the worst of what life could offer. Healing is our responsibility because healing 
is actually not returning to how and who we were before. It's becoming someone we've never been, someone stronger, someone wiser, someone kinder. When we heal, we step into the people we've always wanted to be. We are not only able to metabolize the pain, we're able to affect real change in our lives, in our families, and in our communities. We're able to pursue our dreams more freely. We're able to handle whatever life throws at us because we're self-efficient and assured. We are more willing to dare, risk, and dream of broader horizons, ones we never thought we'd reach. The thing is that when someone else does something wrong and it affects us, we often sit around waiting for them to take the pain away as though they could come along and undo what has been done. We fail to realize that the hurt are the most important lessons of our lives, the fertile breeding ground upon which we can start to build everything we really want. We're not meant to get through life unscathed. We're not meant to get to the finish line unscarred, clean, and bored. Life hurts us all in different ways, but how we respond and who we become that determines whether trauma becomes tragedy or the beginning of a story of how the victim became the hero. Wow. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Wow. And, and, and yeah. And the only guy who can't say that is the mm -hmm. perpetrator. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. That's the yeah. news I can't deliver to my victim. Somebody else has got to tell her that well, or him that. But, but let's pause on that thought, Nate. I mean, yeah, from Allie's perspective, perspective you created trauma. Mm -hmm. But that came out of trauma in your own life. So this story applies to you as much as to her, but you can't— Absolutely, You yes. can't say it to her as if she needs to fix something about herself. Right. So that's why I love that this is saying, okay, this this isn't your fault. This isn't about trying to shift the blame to you. But Nate can never fix this for you. Mm -hmm. And Nate has to be on his journey about his own healing. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about your guys' thought. I thought this was interesting. I mean, the the self, you know, empowerment stuff. I have gospel thoughts you know that feel like eh, i don't like mm -hmm. the way that was phrased whatever right. but mm -hmm. overall give me your thoughts uh counselor brian put mm -hmm. on your counselor hat and your pastor yeah. hat wear two hats like all sherlock hats. holmes i'm gonna wear all the hats and um i just i just avoided a bidet reference so you want some credit for that <laughs> <laughs> thank came you came very close came very close uh no i think that i mean overall it's uh, I guess I like the thesis, and I've got my yabats too. But see, what do I like about it? I mean, uh, I, I guess as I work with various traumatized clients, occasionally you do find people who are um, really stuck in the bitterness with a person that's still living in their life, maybe that they're still married to, and it's pretty clear that their own healing has been arrested because they're, like the author said, they're, they're they're kind of sitting in this passivity, waiting for someone else to do their their job or their thing. And that can be a really scary dead end and really sad. And you almost see a chain reaction of, um, uh, of additional like waves of darkness that kind of get unleashed. And so I will say that to people sometimes like, you know, let's assuming this person never apologizes as, 
or, or repairs this relationship as much as maybe they should, um, you know, with all due respect, what are you going to do about it? Because you, you, you are living a story before God and that story is ultimately between you and God and how you're responding to your life, uh, um, before him. Well, what and, do you say uh, to the person that says, why should I have to do it? I didn't do anything to create this. And now you're saying it's my job to get out of it. And uh, that's that's question one. But question two is even harder. What about people who experience trauma in their far past and possibly the people who enacted that trauma have passed away or no longer part of their life? And it's mm-hmm. still their work to deal with. That seems very unfair, Brian. Mm. <laughs> sometimes it's sometimes it's easier for those folks that have the trauma so far in the past because it's easier for them to wake up to realize that um, all they really can do is surrender to that relational violation. There's no one there to reconcile with, so it's clearer that they're not okay. waiting for a phone call that never comes in. Then what about the person uh, that's still living with the person that created the trauma and you're like, this is your work to do and that feels unfair. Yeah. So this is what I'd say about that. Like this is kind of my, a little bit of a, yeah, but I have to the article. Maybe, um, I mean, I think I still buy the basic gist of it, but you know, if someone's in a marriage or something and, and they're trying to stay in the marriage and there's been trauma because of like a breach in the, in the, in uh, marital fidelity or something, um, there is a kind of healing that can't come fully until the perpetrator does make their emotions toward repair. And that's, it, it can't. And in fact, uh, if, if, if that's kind of healing we're talking about is relational healing. Yeah. Um, right. Relational healing. Yes. Yeah. Then that's, that has to be a two way street. You can, you can grant forgiveness unilaterally, but you can't have a repaired relationship, uh, entirely until the perpetrator, you know, apologizes and maybe, you know, it, it, it goes kind of deeper into their own motions toward the, what what are kind what are other kinds of healing that can take place if you don't feel like somebody has made a confession a proper confession and repentance okay so here's i hope this won't get too complicated but uh so lacking that proper repentance something happens in my heart um when i'm when i'm sinned against in that way and what can happen is a kind of splitting and i don't know if you've heard me talk about personality parts before either on this podcast or elsewhere where you'll start to have uh well for example an inner critic would be an example of like a a personality part that can kind of leap to life in the face of trauma and so it'll be a part of your personality it's still you but it almost feels like another you in there that'll start saying things like you know what the only reason he he cheated on you is because you're so unattractive or the only reason she X, Y, and Z is because you're such an, a loser. And it's, it's parts of your personality that are trying to find some, you know, kind of way to explain the unexplainable by blaming on you. That's what an inner critic does. Um, and so that's like a, that's a, um, a kind of a theater of potential healing between like the core you and the part of you that's become the inner critic that really doesn't have anything to do with the perpetrator. That's, that's really internal to you. Um, and there's all kinds of ways to move into that healing, uh, you know, and the first step is really to recognize that, that inner critic is a voice within you, but that's really not you and that it has some kind of, um, ham fisted type of protective strategy of you, which is a whole nother topic, I suppose. 
but um yeah that's all like internal that is that's got to be your work um to dive into that um and, and the yeah and the perpetrator has only you know kind of released the the, the cause of this uh, internal splitting so what do you do i mean this is to both of you nate like you said you can't be the one to tell your wife hey trauma is not your fault but the healing is your responsibility if if you as a couple are stuck in a rut and there is this feeling of one person is is carrying the responsibility for this whole thing how how do you even get that conversation going in an appropriate way where it doesn't feel like you're blame shifting where you're gaslighting the other person mm -hmm. yeah this is really what i have to fall back on being a christian and believe that there is always i know that my wife prays earnestly on a daily basis i know that she is sensitive to the leading of the holy spirit um I know that we individually and together are part of a larger body, the body of Christ. And uh, so, you know, my strategy, which I learned late, um, I ignored early in recovery the, the advice, the, the strong directive that I got from more experienced people in the program not to uh, you know, advise my wife or tell my wife to do things or all that kind of stuff, try to push any, any of this stuff on her. I, I ignored that. And as a result, she rightfully felt as though I was shifting blame. I was evading responsibility. I was trying to make this somehow a 50-50 deal. Uh, you know, when I got past that and and learned take my concern for my wife uh, to do a living amends to her uh, but to trust that God could speak to her directly or through his people um, crazily enough Allie began to hear from people other than me things that I had hoped she would hear and that I wished I had said uh, I know that's that's a religious mm -hmm. answer but that's the one that's worked best for us and, that, and i'm sure that took a lot of hard patience on your part to not be the one coming up with all the answers right yeah all right yeah. what do you what do you think brian if somebody's stuck they feel like they're in a rut everything's dependent on them but they can't fix it for their spouse who they might have hurt right, right. How, how do they move into a healthy and helpful conversation so one thing I might say is that the thing that you can never say uh, if you're that person is you can't quote this article um, and use the word um, responsibility. You can't tell your, let's say your spouse in this case, that they have a responsibility to heal. Yeah. That's just like, sorry, that's, there's some vocabulary that you are no longer entitled to use. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, exactly. It's still, still true. And, and I, sometimes this distinction I make is that, there are certain things in the world that are true and things that need to be said. And you may just never be the person that gets to say them. Uh, and that's um, that to kind of believe that it really does require that you surrender um, being your spouse's savior or sanctifier. You, you have to decide. It's hard for us who are 
I mean, this happens, I think, a lot when you get a, let's say, a guy, I know it's, it goes both ways, but let's say it's the guy who's the perpetrator, he comes clean to his wife. And for him, it's like, by God's grace, it's this, you know, it's, it's like the, the gates of splendor open up and he's he's feeling mm-hmm. this real um, rush of really good uh, healing. And he's, 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 he's uh, transparent like he's never been before. And so he's got all kinds of good ideas for his poor wife. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I see this a lot with couples that are going through uh, affair recovery is the, the wife or, you know, sometimes it's the husband, whatever, but uh, where they're like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad he's so, I'm glad he's so excited about what God's doing in his life, but I'm sitting over here, you know, as a shell of my former self. And right then, you know, often it's my job is to say, yeah, you, this is a really tough place that you guys are in. Because you you almost to the guy now I'm saying this like you almost can't even you can't even be too triumphalistic in front of her about what God is doing in your life like you just sort of it's another sad thing but you sort of you sort of lost the right to even let your wife be the main person that you celebrate God's goodness with in some settings in some cases um, and for some seasons for some seasons yeah 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 um, so it, it may fall to someone else I think to answer your question. Uh, Aaron, it, it may fall to someone else to deliver the the message that that um, she has some of her own work to do and maybe even her own responsibility. I don't. Th- I almost. I don't think you ever really need to use that word. It's it, it's it, it always sounds tone deaf. Even yeah, I'm trying to think in what setting I would actually use that word, even with a if I was working with somebody. Um, you can say the same thing without a word that's that edgy. I think in 90% of the cases. Well, this comes back to being wise with our vocabulary yet again, which uh, we've talked about uh, a number Mm -hmm. of times in the last six months. Um, This this is good. Anything to add before we take a break, Nate? No, I think, uh, I think we've, for, for now, at least I think we've covered the subject well. And thanks so much for, for that, insight brian that was mm. very very helpful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, thank you well stick with us we'll be back in a second yeah <laughs> stick with us we'll be back in a second here on the pirate monk podcast it was 100 degrees as we sat beneath a willow tree whose tears didn't care they just hung in the air and refused to fall it's a fall And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast to close this out. My pants are still off. What about yours, Nate? (laughs) (laughs) I have remained clothed throughout. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I really have. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Me too. I'm just, yeah, I'm 
I'm uh, clothed head to foot. I'm sorry, Aaron. We didn't join your your party. Come on. <laughs> I just, you're, you know, I feel like you're all shaming me. Are you guys slut shaming me? I don't know what that is exactly, but I feel slut shamed. <laughs> the picture of Aaron Porter in this podcast is essentially a semi-nude man who parades around on bidets making other people make videos of him. That's, <laughs> wow. that's, well, this, this has turned out poorly for me. <laughs> There, there won't be any good job interviews coming in from this. <laughs> At least not in this country. Maybe in France. I don't know maybe why, but it seems like maybe. <laughs> All right. What do we got coming up, Nate? Uh, well, we have more guests. I can't think of them offhand, but we have we have more guests uh, coming up in future broadcasts. Uh, who knows what the future holds, but we do know that there is a fall retreat scheduled for the guys the first weekend in November. The world is still here and the trains are still running. <laughs> Planes are still flying. Uh, we will meet in Eva, Tennessee, November 6th through 8th. And also, uh, fingers crossed, a retreat for wives focusing on healing from betrayal trauma. July 24th through 26th, and you can register for both of those. You can find the banners and the links at samsonsociety.com. Nice. So we got that stuff coming up, and we would love to hear from you, your thoughts, your experiences uh, on any of the stuff we've talked about. You can talk about your uh, Sam's Club long lines or uh, figuring out how to deal with trauma in your own life. You can email us at... Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. And I just want to note as a, a point of optimism that post apocalyptic uh, clothes are pretty awesome in all post apocalyptic <laughs> movies. A lot of interesting cars and outfits. Uh, Mel Gibson mm -hmm. certainly comes to mind. So there are upsides to everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's facial tattoos, not, not, many weeks in the future for a lot of us stuff that i yeah. would never never <laughs> wear or do but maybe in that context i can become that cool <laughs> all right well until next time or until the apocalypse <laughs> i'm i'm nate i'm aaron i'm i'm brian yeah and we are your pals on the pirate monk podcast yo ho Well, at least that lightened the mood. It did. Also, don't yeah. you like that old bidet thing? I should have said this, but don't you need to like use toilet paper to just dry off after the bidet? Yeah, but that's why it's less. It's just like a little bit of toilet paper to dry off versus whatever. I think we just need to talk about as a nation like toilet paper use the, te like the technique of, of wiping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a three squares guy. Enough. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't want to know. Okay. All right. All I know is don't use the alcohol wipes. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
work and I sleep and I 